do you want to live your life? What kind of care do you want to receive should you be hospitalized? Who can make healthcare decisions on your behalf if you're unable to? These are questions many people have, and they're all part of advanced directives. In this Health Styles podcast, I'll talk with Sarah Bush Lincoln pulmonologist and critical care physician Jeremy Topin about his personal and professional experiences with end-of-life care. Katie Brown, a social worker with Lincoln Land Hospice, will share her expertise on the different types of advanced directive and what they provide. She'll also share tips on how to start a family conversation about end-of-life care. When choices really count, choose the best. Lincoln Land Home Medical Equipment of Sarah Bush Lincoln has decades of experience providing the best care with a complete line of home medical equipment, including oxygen and CPAP products, along with free in-home setup, delivery, and education. See us today in Vandalia, Effingham, and Mattoon. For more information, call 1-800-345-3191. When Jeremy Topin was a young internist, he was faced with a difficult decision. His wife's 87-year-old grandfather was critically ill, and the family looked to him for guidance and direction on what to do. He ended up getting sick. He uh, went out to dinner. I ended up developing food poisoning, developed a pneumonia, and ended up going to the emergency room and found to have a horrible uh, aspiration pneumonia. He was in septic shock. And the doctors there in the emergency room uh, felt he needed to be intubated and go on life support. But he had been clear to us in the past that uh, he didn't want heroic measures. He had seen his wife 10 years prior uh, end up uh, dying of lung cancer and he was very clear he never wanted to be on life prolonging measures. But the question was, did he mean it in the setting of a terminal illness or did he mean it in the setting of even a potentially treatable disease like pneumonia that he hadn't even received antibiotics for? And we were, we were struggling because we couldn't really ask him. He was in distress, he was struggling to breathe, he was a little confused, he was in a lot of pain. And we realized that we didn't have a conversation with enough depth to it. And we had to make some assumptions. And we made the decision at that point that um, he was very active and he was independent and there was a good chance for him to recover and we wanted to give him that chance. And so we, we chose to put him on life support. Herb recovered after a few weeks in a hospital. After a stay at a long-term care facility, he was finally able to return home. I mean, this is a win from, from a critical care standpoint. But when I had a chance to talk to him several months later at one of his great-grandchildren's birthday, and I was like, Herb, we, we made the right choice, right? And he said no. And uh, I was sort of shocked. And he, you know, to him, uh, and he wasn't mad or angry, but that was a lifetime of evenings that never ended for him. And the care he needed to rely on from the nurses, which he never wanted, was just a blow to his pride. And he just said, please don't do that again. And he actually, a few months later, developed another pneumonia. And that time we knew what he wanted. And we, we made sure that uh, he was comfortable. 
What happened with Jeremy's family occurs in hospitals every day. The difficult choice families have to make when their loved one is seriously ill. Having an advanced directive can help you pre-plan your health care decisions. These legal documents also serve as a guide for your physician and loved ones to help them make clear decisions when you are not able to make them for yourself. Katie Brown is a social worker with Lincolnland Hospice. She helps patients and families with end-of-life care and decision-making. So I think when we do not have advanced directives in place and there's no clear idea of what we want for care at the end of life, it becomes very difficult because generally speaking, we will receive care that we wouldn't otherwise choose for ourselves. Um, and that care can oftentimes lead to prolonged um, issues of discomfort um, and pain. Um, and it also creates a, a burden on our loved ones trying to figure out what those decisions would be at end of life when we have not communicated them. As a critical care physician, Jeremy Topin knows firsthand how difficult it can be for families to make these types of decisions. It's the worst time. It's the most stressful time. It's, decisions often have to be made. The, the patient to whom the, the illness is happening to can't participate because they're not clear in thought uh, or they're in distress. I think it's a rare critically ill patient who can make their own decisions. And so we're often asking family members or loved ones to speak for them. And if there haven't been discussions, it's not clear. And I think having these conversations before they need to happen, before those, those critical moments, allows families to really discuss these issues in a non-stress manner, um, in, a, in a manner that they can have thoughtful conversations, discuss what values and preferences are, follow up on things that maybe they hadn't thought of before. So talking about advanced directives is a very difficult conversation to have, but good conversation starters um, include just referencing an article, a TV show, a movie, um, also talking about uh, maybe a recent medical checkup um, or looking at um, maybe you've lost someone recently and discussing that loss um, and what you would choose in that situation. I think another important thing is to always start with you. So talk about what your wishes would be and what your values for care are before you ask the other person what their choices would be. It just makes that conversation a lot easier. I think one of the reasons why we shy away is because it feels like we're talking about death and no one wants to talk about death, particularly in this country. But I would try to frame it more that we're really talking about how we want to live and what is important to us, what, what makes life worth living. And I think if we could focus more on those conversations, it's really continuing to let those around us know what is important to us, what gives us joy. And that changes throughout our life. But I think understanding that that's more what the conversation's about um, and as opposed to a conversation about death. And I think that conversation is one everyone should be comfortable having at 30, 40, or 50. But I think, you know, as, as someone, I'm 49 and my parents are, are getting older, it's an important conversation to have about them. But hey, I, you know, it's important for my wife to know and my, my young adult children to know what, what my wishes are. So I think more is better. Um, and and uh, at any age, it would be reasonable and appropriate. Once you've had these conversations with your family, the next step is to formalize your decisions. 
The most common types of advanced directive are the living will, healthcare power of attorney, and the post form. So a living will is a document um, to use when you are terminally ill or in a state of permanent unconsciousness. So this is a form that takes two physicians to agree that you do meet those terms um, before it can be enacted. But it is a document that outlines what care you want at um, the end of life. Um, a healthcare power of attorney or durable power of attorney for healthcare, both terms are interchangeable, um, works in the same way except that it also indicates a person and or agent to help make those decisions when um, you cannot make them for yourself. Um, a post form is a physician order set. Um, so it's a little bit like an advanced directive but it also serves as a, a medical order. Um, so it does cover areas of DNR for do not resuscitate, um, tube feedings as well as an outline for the type of care you'd like to receive at the end of life. So advanced directive paperwork can be found at your doctor's office, your hospital, um, at your local area agency on aging, health departments, as well as the Illinois Department of Public Health website, um, and from an attorney if you have one. So I always tell patients and families to keep uh, advanced directives on you, if at all possible. So in your purse, in your glove box, um, if you feel like that's too bulky to carry it in those areas, you could create a little card to keep in your wallet, just stating that you have advanced directives and where they are located. Another good thing to do is to make sure that your doctor has a copy of these papers, um, the hospital that you plan to receive treatment, and um, that the agent or person that you've designated to make decisions for you has a copy. Medicare Part B covers voluntary advanced care planning as part of your yearly wellness visit. This gives you the opportunity to talk in person with your provider about your values and wishes in regards to your health care. So in my, my grandfather's case, you know, we thought we had had the conversation. Uh, he was a DNR, a DNI, and, and often we all stop there. It's hard enough just to have that and there's sort of a relief. But we, we didn't dig deeper, and, and as we found out, we really weren't sure if he was a hard no, if he was a no to any situation. I mean, for example, people can often have an allergic reaction and have swelling in the neck, and all they need is some steroids for 12 hours and a breathing tube, and they go back to completely their prior state of health. And would that, was he a hard no to that? Or would he be willing for a time-limited trial for a day or two? And, we realized we, we hadn't really dug to that next level. And the truth is that the DNR, DNI conversations are important, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's a starting point. It's not the finishing point. The truth is in the ICU, most situations um, are more nuanced and more complex, and they don't fall into this binary catalog of, of DNR, DNI. The reality of medicine is that there's so many more shades of gray that you need nuance and context um, to be able to approach. So when a patient has a healthcare power of attorney in place, family members can spend that time with them as a quality time, just living through memories um, and just getting to spend that time with them rather than making um, healthcare decisions and having stressful conversations over what steps to take next. 
Um, we have seen where people do not have health care power of attorneys in place as well, where there is not a designated person to make decisions. And unfortunately, in these cases, it can be hard to find someone who is willing or able to make those decisions. And sometimes it can cause uh, stress between family members as well. So advanced directives are important at any age. Oftentimes we look at them as something that we fill out when we're older or when we're sick, but really something could happen to any of us at any time. So this is a conversation that we can have now and we should be having now. To learn more, visit sarahbush.org slash advanced directive. That's all one word. Here you can find information on steps to take as well as downloadable forms including the Living Will Declaration and the Power of Attorney. You've been listening to Health Styles presented by Sarah Bush Lincoln. I'm Lori Banks. Thank you so much for joining us.